Welcome to the Bucket Problem, episode 38. I am your host, Ace Ambender, and as always, we are presented by Homefield Apparel and PointsBet, and we're a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Michigan is in not one, but two Sweet 16s, both the men's and women's team have advanced. I've got Alex Cook and Dan, a.k.a. Thick Stauskas, along with me to uh, revel in this, because uh, it's time for some reveling. Um, how are we doing today, boys? Feeling great. Looking forward to watching the men and women play in the second weekend of the tournament for the first time in literally ever. Except for last year. <laughs> oh, last year. Oh, man. Yeah, Alex, don't feel bad. I said I said the exact same thing in my family group chat. I was like, wow, like I, I think that's probably the first time that the women's and the men's team uh, has played in the Sweet 16. And my dad was like, no, it literally happened last year. And I'm like, damn, that did happen last year. And I watched, the, I watched all those games. I just... I think I think like there's a subconscious block between the COVID season and like the mm-hmm. rest of you know basketball yeah. in my head that it just does not feel like even though it was very much a real season and we need to we need to reiterate that as much as possible um, because of you know Michigan's success, uh, but it doesn't feel like a real season in my brain. Um, I, I can't get past that. It, it's also I fair mean, that you know the the previous 47 seasons of Michigan women's basketball existence. Uh, did not include a single Sweet 16 until the last two years. So uh, it's still taking some getting used to on this end. Uh, yeah, I feel like it definitely fits my brand to have the very first thing I say on this podcast be wrong. Um, <laughs> it fits the podcast one, brand as a whole. Yeah, one thing I was not wrong about, I actually got a text from a buddy uh, a few hours after the Tennessee game, and he said, that in the season preview podcast for basketball, I said that this team had a sweet 16 floor and apparently I was completely correct. Uh, never once doubted that outcome <laughs> for a second. And I knew that Michigan with all of that talent, a preseason top five ranking would make it to the second weekend of the tournament, which is apparently a very difficult bar for a lot of big 10 programs to clear almost Um, all of them. (laughs) Yeah. My big mood is, is having that sweet 16 floor as uh, a program as the men's program. Um, Five in a row. Yeah. Five in a row. uh, The most in the country tied with Gonzaga and Michigan by Michigan standards was not as good this year as they've been in past years. This was the worst regular season win loss record since my senior year of college in 2014, 15, which it's been a while now. Um, But even though Michigan kind of had an up and down regular season, I feel like pretty much everything has been redeemed by these past two games. Michigan, you know, took a punch from two good teams, including, you know, arguably the best team in the sec and several players stepped up from the star and Hunter Dickinson to role players like Frankie Collins. And you see that improvement from the beginning of the season, a lot in this team, Um, watching the Tennessee game and seeing how Michigan tracked their off ball offensive action. Like on the weak side, I was very impressed because for the first part of the season, Eli was just pointing at people to go over there or guard this guy. And it never seemed to happen. So um, give a lot of credit to Juwan Howard for, you know, putting this team together, putting them in a position to win some games in the tournament and yeah, responding really well, winning a huge game against Tennessee and having us feel good about where, you know, this season wound up landing. Absolutely. The nice part about, um, 
Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I was just going to say the um, the I, I complained last week about how like national pundits only really pay attention to March, um, but I've changed my mind, uh, and that's actually good. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> it's the nice thing about having a really disappointing season is that it actually doesn't matter at all. Um, and the tournament has so I've already forgotten every like every January game that I like stayed up until nine thirty uh, watching on a Tuesday, then play like you know at a completely empty Northwestern, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Fieldhouse or whatever, um, completely forgotten all that painstaking hours watching Michigan, you know, January, February basketball, um, because they won two games, uh, in one weekend in March. And that's literally all that matters and all that should matter, quite frankly. Disparaging yeah, Welsh lost. Ryan arena, man. But, uh, yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> I like, it's team... very nice. I've been there a couple of times now. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This team lost to Minnesota at home and, um, it doesn't now matter they, anymore. Now they objectively yeah. have a better season than uh, every Big Ten team, except maybe Purdue. We'll see how it turns out. Yeah, and tournament performance kind of cuts both ways because Illinois won a share of the regular season Big Ten title. Iowa won the Big Ten tournament, but because those teams made early exits before you know where they would be expected to finish as a seed, I feel like... I mean, as a the Michigan fan, are fraudulent. That's yeah, what we're the, saying. <laughs> the banners are fraudulent. Those memories don't count. None of it matters. The when only when time... Michigan wins a Big Ten title, they at least have the courtesy to, you know, advance to the second weekend of the tournament. Right. Uh, unless we're going back to 2012, I guess. The, the other thing I want to mention from what Alex was saying is this is the worst win-loss record since you go back to 2014-15. That was a year when Karis LeVert got hurt. And that totally submarined uh, the team's chances of even making it to March. Uh, the same thing happened the next year. And then ever since then, Michigan has made sweet 16s. Um, the two seasons prior to 2014-15, if I recall, were uh, quite nice. So really what it takes to stop this Michigan team at this point for now a solid decade is an injury to their best player and possibly also their second best player. Um, otherwise, and so, and you, Michigan's making the Sweet Sixteen. That's just that's just how it is now. And you better make sure to get um, both of their best players because you can injure their best player in the biggest game of the year, and uh, they'll win on your home court to secure a tournament uh, berth. And then you can hurt their second best player for um, you know the first two games of the tournament, and uh, they'll win both those games anyway. So. Um, on a serious note, like very impressed with how this team has dealt with a lot of um, some self-created adversity, <laughs> but uh, some some injury adversity down the stretch. I mean, you know, if you had told me that that Devontae Jones is going to be out um, for the first two games, I'd be like, all right, well, you know, nice season. Like, glad they made the tournament. Um, so, you know, it's 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 been honestly beyond like my wildest expectations for this team. Yeah, yeah the recent more- history of the program. You look at the last ten years. The only thing Michigan really doesn't have on its resume is the national title. Pretty much everything else, multiple Final Fours, um, about as many tournament wins as anybody, conference titles in a good conference. Like it's been, it's been a really great run. It was nice of Purdue to point out that Michigan and Gonzaga have the most consecutive Sweet Sixteens of any programs in the country. Yeah. I appreciate that Twitter, Twitter graphic a lot. <laughs> good job, Purdue. <laughs> Yeah, Congrats thanks for the power. props, guys. It's yeah, you guys, <laughs> you guys are also good. No, we're friends. Like yeah. you don't need to worry about yeah those other programs. Um, 
Purdue, speaking of them, has just such an easy route to the final four at this point with um, St. Peter's and then UCLA or UNC. So, yeah, we'll see. Is it, I think I think in a, I think with UCLA, um, Hawkes is out too. I think I believe. Um, I just said I think I believe. But please, Ace, edit that out to make me not sound like uh, <laughs> like I don't know how to nope, speak. Saying it, um, saying it. <laughs> We're keeping the blunders in. Yes. Always. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, uh, I think that they do really have a. I mean, especially with St. Peter's, like I'm excited to see Zach Eady, um line up against like their six foot four center and just place the ball in the basket for three hours. <laughs> um, he, he is going to be playing good. among the Lilliputians, but it it could be. <laughs> pretty fun to see how St. Peter's tries to make that work. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then you can pull in the backup center. Who's way also way bigger than them, but has an insane bag of like post-ups and moves. Yeah. From 15 feet. And then it's, it's going to be like when you play your dad for the first time in hoops and you're just kind of like hacking at his, like his upper midsection as he like, you know, just lays the ball in easily. <laughs> Uh, all right. We're getting our head of ourselves a little bit. So Dan, I, I got to throw it to you for your big boot, which, uh, is short and sweet as far as I can see. <laughs> yeah. Um, this weekend was awesome. Um, I got to, for the second year in a row, uh, rub it in everyone's face that Michigan was the only big 10 team after all the slander, um, throughout the year, the only big 10 team to advance the second weekend besides Purdue. Um, and as a bonus, you know, it, uh, Purdue is, as uh, this podcast is well aware, uh, my girlfriend's favorite team. So this is actually the best possible scenario for me. Um, as far as Twitter bragging, it would have been nice if Michigan was the only team. But as far as like me living in a house that like you know is uh, doesn't have someone that hates me um, <laughs> and is very angry, uh, Michigan and Purdue both advancing was great. Um, got to pull a lot of receipts uh, from Bart Torvik about you know Juwan being the worst coach in America. Um, got to pull a lot of receipts about Michigan making the NIT from like, you know, January and February. Um, so just very happy with the <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 I've been saying, you know what, that's, that's a good question. Um, and it doesn't matter. Uh, I never, I've never <laughs> said anything about, <laughs> about this team, not making the tournament. Um, but no, for real, I mean, uh, overall, I, I just, I think this, it was, it was a really great weekend of hoops and a really great weekend of hoops, especially for, you know, as a, as a Michigan fan, um, most fun I've had, uh, uh, watching sports in a while, really, um, in addition to the hockey wins and the women's basketball wins, which I greatly enjoyed and the women's and, gymnastics. Um, yeah. And women's Big gymnastics. Weekend. And honestly, um, maybe a little bit sad because I I'm now realizing that, you know, we've got two more weekends of good sports left and uh then it's more or less uh you know waiting for football season um, you I guys gotta baseball. get into formula one it's <laughs> it's uh, no <laughs> not, it's, not getting up by that early <laughs> go outside and touch grass season yeah <laughs> you know you know some of us do yeah. that i guess i have been spending a lot of time out on the back porch but uh it is so nice after a long winter just to be outside yeah, no, I just back porch. Th- thankfully my Wi-Fi reaches the back porch, so I've watched a lot of both tournaments on my laptop while sitting out back. And then when Michigan's on, I'll get serious and come inside and watch on a TV that uh, is bigger than 15 inches, 13 inches, whatever my laptop is. Um, yeah, I've been spending a lot of time outside too. It's it's really starting to get nice in Chicago. Um, but it is funny to be like. I'll be outside just having a really relaxing time, like having a couple of beers. 
And then uh, she'd be like, all right, well, you know, time to go back inside and sit on my couch nervously and uh, just be generally unhappy and anxious for three hours, um, which is the most important thing to do. And make, we got to make sure I interrupt this beautiful outside time with, you know, watching Michigan basketball. Because um, even though I say that I, uh, you know, that they've, they've surpassed expectations, that doesn't mean that I'm not incredibly nervous during every game. So, oh, of course. Yeah, that Tennessee one was very tense. That's, yeah. I mean, it's the best part of the tournament once you get through it. But while it's happening, it's also uh, kind of the worst part of the tournament. <laughs> it's just that constant low-grade nausea that you're feeling just all the time. Uh, because all of this is tremendously nerve-wracking. All right. Uh, my big mood of the week is I don't know if women's basketball can keep having their best season ever every year for the rest of the time. But they are doing their damnedest. And they have accomplished it again this year, which is rather amazing. Uh, They beat a Villanova team that had a legitimate star on their team. um, And that gave Michigan a pretty good hit in the mouth early on and forced them to come back. And they pretty much were just getting production from Nas Hillman and Leah Brown and still managed to do it. And by the end pulled away enough where they could kind of, celebrate a uh, second senior day and uh, the format of the women's basketball tournament allows uh, teams to do this. Whereas the men's playing their tournament regionals uh, at neutral sites, it's not, but this was the first time that Michigan ever hosted an NCAA tournament weekend. And for them to get to um, send Nas Hillman off with a victory in her last game at Chrysler, uh, which I hate saying that I typed it out for the first time yesterday and I absolutely fucking hated it. Um, and also with, uh, the other three seniors on the team, this is, this is an incredible class. And, uh, Kim Barzarico pretty much immediately started crying when she got on the mic post game and, uh, it was pretty hard and, uh, I did not, uh, make it, um, in terms of avoiding tearing up, uh, in that moment. Um, especially seeing her, um, chest bumping and then hugging Nas Hillman uh, as she came off the court uh, when Michigan emptied the bench late. Um, seeing the seniors all standing together, taking photos with each other. Um, it was just a really wonderful moment. And uh, given, uh, you know, the way the team was playing down the stretch without Leah Brown, being able to get her back just in time to go on this run and really validate that this team really was as good as they looked for um, most of the season when they were uh, a top 10 team. Uh, That was, uh, that was as much fun as anything on a weekend. That was uh, pretty incredible all around for Michigan sports. All right. We are going to jump into the men's basketball games uh, before we look ahead to Villanova. So let's talk first about uh, the most recent one, Tennessee. Uh, Michigan pulls it out 76 68. Once again, need to come back uh, to pull this one off. They are down six at the under eight timeout in this game. But Hunter Dickinson goes for 27 at 11 uh, with a block and a steal thrown in. Eli Brooks pours in 23 on a tremendously efficient shooting game also dishes out five assists and Michigan gets nine off the bench from Terrence Williams. I feel like that's the next player to mention here. 
other than Frankie Collins not really doing much statistically, but doing a tremendous job of kind of guiding the team, keeping the ship afloat when uh, Devontae Jones unfortunately exited uh, after playing 12 minutes when he got looked like he got hit on the head and uh, re-aggravated his concussion. Um, so we'll see what his availability is for the upcoming week. I hope he's able to play. Uh, but one thing that really emerged from his absence this weekend was that uh, Frankie Collins is uh, at least good enough to guide this team through uh, the first weekend of the tournament. Yeah, Tennessee is – I didn't think Michigan's offense would be able to play as well as it did against Tennessee. Um, Dickinson was clearly the best player on the floor. He had a great game that really stated his case as a legitimate All-American. Like, he wasn't named to the All-American teams like he was last year, but he's a better player, and he really showed it against a pretty imposing big man, pretty imposing defense. Um Eli Brooks, I did not see that coming from him. Like Jawan was running offense for him down the stretch for open mid-range shots, um, getting the switch on a ball screen and, and going at a bigger player. It's like he kind of had to play that role, but he really shined and he's just a winner. So I mean the Eli the the Xavier Simpson teardrop skyhook over uh Josiah Jordan James. I, I knew Eli had, had broken that out every once in a while, but never in such a clutch situation. And I don't think he's hit one that with quite that much flair and difficulty yet. That was maybe the play of the season thus far. I, I almost fell off my dang couch. Yeah, and up there with the plays of the season were Terrence uh, Williams' offensive rebounds late in that game. He was mm-hmm. on the floor instead of Musa Diabate, which I thought was interesting. Um Caleb Houston played a lot, didn't uh, score a point, but his defense was better than I expected to be. And I think he really has made a lot of strides on the end of the floor this year. Um, But yeah, to your point about those Eli shots down the stretch, like it was a close, really high leverage game. And in hindsight, you can point to reasons why Michigan won. Um, Down the stretch, Michigan was basically conceding open corner threes by – aggressively going after the guards on ball screens because Tennessee's guards had been scoring from the mid range and getting downhill to the basket. Um, Tennessee made some plays out of the short roll for open corner threes and just couldn't make any, I think they wound up shooting two of 18 from three. Mm-hmm. So advancing in the tournament, especially against good teams takes some degree of luck as well. Um, I think Michigan played much better on defense than they have for most of the season um, against Tennessee, but definitely bears mentioning that, you know, some of their players uh, like I feel like Viscovi, for example, is a guy that you expect way more out of him for an average performance. Um, but, you know, that's kind of how it goes sometimes. Yeah. Viscovi was almost 10 points below his season average and was only one for five from three. Although I thought Michigan did a great job of chasing him around the perimeter um, until they decided to kind of pack it in closer late. But uh they really made Tennessee work. I mean, Kennedy Chandler is a potential first-round pick, a really explosive athlete, and he had he had as many points as shooting possessions and didn't make it to the line once. And considering he attempted 16 twos, that's pretty remarkable. Um, so I thought even though Chandler had a really excellent game and one where he'll uh, 
they'll show that game tape to NBA scouts and they'll like it. Uh, I, th I thought uh, Frankie Collins and Eli Brooks in particular were strong on the ball and at least were funneling guys into Hunter Dickinson or Musa Diabate and, and forcing them into some, some tougher finishes. So that, that was, I mean, considering the firepower that Tennessee brings out there, a, a pretty solid defensive performance. Yeah, I think one thing that I've noticed with the defense, too, is that Michigan uh, this past weekend was more willing to switch than they had been at most parts of the season. Um, that was something that they frankly couldn't do early in the season. Like okay. some of the freshmen, you know, it's an obvious switch on the wing on like like a lazy dribble handoff or whatever, and they just don't know to do it. Um, Michigan did it a lot, and some of it involved – switching Hunter, not only late clock, but earlier in possessions against Colorado state, even onto primary ball handlers. And, you know, he definitely got beat a few times, but he held his own, you know, on other possessions. And that's something that it's nice that Michigan is able to do that, especially against a team like Tennessee, where Chandler for the most part is the only guy who can beat you one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and this is going to be interesting when we talk about Villanova too, but I huh. think, Michigan's ability to play different defenses just to even mix it up is helpful. And yeah, I mean, this isn't a good defensive team, but they played good enough defense in the first two games to advance. They're a much better defensive team than they were uh, for the first, I don't know, three months of the season. It, so there, there is some reason to believe that they're at least better than what their yeah. uh, rating says they are. One thing that, um, Barnes said during like the in-game interview um, was that he didn't expect Michigan to contest shots at the rim like that. I think that's one thing that really frustrated me this year, but Diabate's presence around the basket has really made it tough on opposing big men to finish inside. Yeah. He had three blocks yeah, in this um, one. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead. That was, I remember them. There was like a, that, that sequence where uh, the guards were just Tennessee's guards were just getting to the rim at will. And it, pretty much looked like Michigan was fighting and clawing back. And uh, it looked like they were about to have just another basically wide open layup. And Dibate came like out of nowhere to swat the ball away and, and uh, get a turnover, I think. So um, yeah, his, his defense has been uh, it's, I would say it's like, it could be more consistent, but when he flashes, he really flashes. Um, now we just got to work on him, you know, dunking the ball and uh, <laughs> going up strong to the basket. Yeah, some rough finishing against Tennessee. He did look really good against Colorado State, which you kind of expect for a, a guy his size and athletic ability against a mid-major. But, yeah, I mean, Michigan is playing its best basketball at the right time. It's managed to win two consecutive games for the first time in forever. And, you know, looking ahead, you know, given how well they played against Tennessee, you'd think they have a chance to uh, to win a few more games and and maybe go on a run like before the tournament, I would have said, Oh man, Arizona's too scary. Like that's for sure going to be the absolute ceiling, but their point guards hurt. They barely survived overtime against TCU. Um, yeah. And there's definitely the potential to advance past the sweet 16, I think. Yeah. I mean, we'll see if Arizona survives Houston, but uh, um, Michigan also, and not an easy matchup with Villanova before that. Um but first, let's talk about uh, Colorado State. This was the Frankie Collins game. Uh, he hits all five of his twos, uh, drains a corner three, which uh, was rather shocking. Um, 
And just can I, can I ask you? Can I ask a question real quick? That's like maybe just specifically about that. Yeah. Um. Like he. So he's he's one for three uh, on three pointers in the last two games, and all of them were remarkably closer than he's been all season, which has been you know. I think he's one for like whatever for the rest of the season and none of them were particularly close. Um, do we feel like the, I, I just feel like the level, the the confidence with, with, with which he shoots and kind of like how it's looking a little bit better now, like, is it possible that he's getting better at shooting or is that just like me like way wishful thinking? I wish there was more of a free throw sample from him. Uh, unfortunately yeah. he's below 50% there too. And that, I, I mean, I want to believe while looking at him. Uh, I've also taken a look at some comps, and um, let's just say that he'd be an outlier in terms of developing much of an outside shot at all. I, I think the big hope for him at this point is to uh, get his free throw percentage up a little bit uh, and just kind of continue being a guy who's so good at attacking the basket that you can't really play off him because between his passing and his first step, um, you don't want to give him that space, which is totally viable at the college level. And uh, we're already seeing that. So, um, but I, I don't expect him to really be a more than, I don't know, a 30% ish Xavier Simpson like three point shooter. Uh, it's going to be tough for him to get to that point just with how he's shooting right now, even on looks where the opponent, opponents are generally leaving him wide open. I think there is something to be said for playing more confidently in an expanded role. So Mm -hmm. Frankie, you know, in January, he would come in for a stint in the first half, maybe turn it over once or twice, get yanked out of the game and not really see meaningful playing time after that with Jones out, he was forced to step up. And that was one thing that he said after that game that, you know, the coaches were telling him, his teammates were telling him, just be Frankie, just play your game. And He's never going to be a guy where, I mean, I guess it's hard to say. Like, I think he could improve as a three-point shooter over the course of his career. I think the baseline for this season, like the rest of the tournament, probably pretty low. But even just being willing to step into the shot and take it is good for the offense. And I think that kind of flows from his ability to, you know, make tough finishes around the rim, get by guards in the half court without a pick. Like, he has talent that, you know, a lot of Michigan guards in recent years haven't had. And it's nice to see him playing with that confidence. Um, confidence for young guards in the NCAA tournament can kind of mean turnover sometimes, <laughs> but he's done a good job of keeping those under control. I think he is getting a better feel for how to leverage his driving ability into good looks for his teammates rather than driving to the basket, not being able to score, and then kind of panicking and passing it to maybe the defense. Um, He's doing a good job of setting up those passes, I think, now. And, yeah, I I think even if Jones doesn't play against Villanova, you feel pretty good about Frankie Collins in this game and potentially moving forward as Michigan's starting point guard. Um, Like you said, against Colorado State, really good. I don't think Colorado State's guards were equipped to handle somebody like Frankie Collins on either end of the floor. And yeah, it's, it's a uh, huge I mean, the job he did on Isaiah Stevens. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming Stevens didn't run into many defenders of Collins caliber, but uh, he forced him into one of his worst games of the season. And that's a, one of the best mid-major point guards in the country. Uh, 
so that was yeah. that was really nice to see. Um, and then it was interesting in the Colorado State game. Like Deshaun Thomas hit a few early threes, and we're thinking as fans, like, oh no, here we go. But Colorado State took more threes than twos, but shot like a pretty mediocre. Uh, percentage on those threes they kind of cooled off over the course of the game and you know that's yeah one of those things where in the tournament like Colorado State their five out offense could generate open threes they you know Michigan I think over the course of the game put a little bit more pressure on those shot attempts but I Mm -hmm. you know if they were hot Michigan (laughs) might might have gone out but yeah, I mean, you know, you survive in advance. I think David Roddy, Michigan's defense on David Roddy was really good. Like I, I was going to say what Moussa Diabate yeah. did on him in particular and a little bit of Terrence Williams. Uh, that was, uh, I mean, Roddy only takes five two-pointers, um, turns the ball over a couple times when he gets doubled and tries to, one when he, when he gets doubled and tries to skip it, another one he just gets pickpocketed by uh, Frankie Collins while taking the ball up the floor, uh, which was fun uh only one for six from beyond the arc and i think a lot of that had to do with how hard diabate was closing out on him uh so and he ends up fouling out uh i played 38 minutes before he fouled out but he fouls out uh so i mean colorado state is not going to win many games uh when roddy and stevens combined for 21 points they got kind of an out of body experience from their stretch big who hit five of seven threes and uh Still couldn't win this one. And yeah, Alex, I mean, I, I will happily concede your point about Michigan would have been in trouble if Colorado State hits, you know, 20 of their 35 three-point attempts or something. But I would say Michigan definitely deserved to take this one with shooting 65% on twos compared to 37% for Colorado State. They just, this was a, a, a dominant performance, especially with Dickinson going eight for nine on, on two-pointers. They just had yeah. no answer. Michigan really leaned on its size advantage and they outscored Colorado state by 27 points over the last 25 minutes of game action. So I agree that Michigan deserved to win and had a good process for winning. I think that kind of, I know Matt D from MGO blog likes to uh, talk about this, but um, twos versus threes, like threes are more than twos, but if you can consistently um, score in the paint and prevent opponents from doing the same, you don't really leave it up to chance on, you know, whether you have a cold shooting night in an arena you've never played in or the NCAA institutes a new ball for the tournament and it's kind of weird <laughs> or whatever circumstances may get draft from high up in the arena, whatever it is. Um, if you throw the ball to Hunter Dickinson on the left block, like he's going to score. And that's really what Michigan leaned on against Colorado State. That's what Michigan leaned on against Tennessee. Um, I do like Michigan's ability to kind of accommodate Diabate's game by not just camping him in the corner and kind of popping Dickinson out to the three-point line to give him more room to operate inside. But Michigan's at its best when Dickinson's unstoppable in the post, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think it's 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 so nice having a player like Dickinson because, I mean, I'm not saying anything new here, but it's cool that – having someone that big that's that skilled and that automatic is it really does give you a chance to win a lot of games where you're not the better team like against i mean i guess you know they're probably a better team than colorado state but there's so many teams that he really sets a really high floor where if you don't have someone close to seven foot that's a decent defender 
Michigan's going to score one point, you know, like uh, over one point per possession, and they're they're probably going to win. Like he sets such a a low floor or a high floor for this team, where even um, against a team like Villanova, like I feel pretty. I don't feel confident they're going to win because Villanova is obviously better than Michigan, but they're still just like that wild card of Hunter Dickinson is literally bigger than everyone on your team. And he's going to like be a very, very efficient scorer and you're going to have to double team him. And even then sometimes like he's going to score. So it's, uh, it's really cool having, I mean, I, I think other teams in the big 10 have seen this too with how many skilled bigs there are in the conference and how a lot of teams really just are not equipped at all to deal with them. Yeah, I think it's interesting that Dickinson wasn't named first team all Big Ten, and I think that's fair given the body of work over the course of the season, but judging by these last two games and the other games played in the tournament by Big Ten teams, like he's definitely one of the five best players in the conference, and you can kind of poke some holes in his game, particularly on the defensive end, like kind of plays defense like he's in foul trouble sometimes, even if he's not. Um, but yeah, to your point, Dan, unstoppable offensive player. If he's you know, he's had a couple of off games, like the, the Illinois game at home. Um, he missed a couple of like open looks, but even then, like asking your center to hit floaters off of the short roll is not something that many college teams can do. And yeah, he can play any style of offense you want and punish the defense. And he did 50 points through two games. I mean, that's well, and he's also, he's also that. logged. You know, he logged 35 minutes against Colorado State, 38 against Tennessee. There are not a lot of college big men who can even just stay running up and down the court that long. Um, I mean, this is perhaps putting some uh, guiding and unfair parameters on it. But if you're if you're giving me one big man in the Big Ten, I, I, I haven't watched enough nationally to be able to say this for sure nationally. But if you're giving me one big man in the Big Ten, where I need 35 minutes out of this guy in a tournament game because I don't like my backup that much. Um, I want Hunter Dickinson because uh, you know he's going to produce and you also know that he's going to be out there because, I mean, there's an up and downside to, Alex, what you said about Dickinson often playing defense like he's in foul trouble. Uh, he also uh, almost never fouls out. So, I mean, the last time he did was in late January against Northwestern. And that was the only time that's happened this season. And he rarely even gets four fouls. So to have somebody where at the center position, you know that you can put them out there and, uh, you know, nine times out of 10, they're going to be able to give you 32 strong minutes or more. That's a luxury that very, very few teams, even at the highest level of college basketball have. Yeah, you see it in Michigan's region with, um, you know, Houston, really great defensive team, really great rebounding team. They don't have a giant. Um, Arizona has a couple giants. Villanova, their big men are kind of tiny. Yeah, it is a luxury. And to your point, I think Trace Jackson Davis is really the only one that I could could think of that could play even play that much. Um, Edie and Williams are great. Kofi Coburn was really good despite just being big and <laughs> but they, they couldn't impact the game for, for 40 minutes like Dickinson could. Yeah. Um, that's where I was guiding you there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I think, uh, I mean, it is a, a specific thing you're looking for, but I also think in a tournament that it becomes uh, 
more important when really, you know, obviously every possession is enormous and every possession where you have your best player on the floor, um, it's that much more important to be able to have that luxury. So uh, Michigan's in in pretty good shape with Hunter Dickinson. Uh, although uh, Villanova is going to be a tough test and we will get to that right after this ad read. We are, as always, brought to you by Homefield Apparel. I am dispelling with the normal promo code. Although, I mean, I guess you can still use it. Promo code bucket problem for 15% off your first order from Homefield. If you are one of the few people who have not placed an order from Homefield yet and have not run through all your burner emails and whatnot. Uh, but we've got a new one for you. Use promo code MANIA. That is M-A-N-I-A, MANIA, for 10% off any team collection. Um of a program that won at least one game this weekend in either the men's or women's NCAA tournament, even if they were limited in the second round, this code is still active until midnight tonight. So get on it. Um, this uh, applies doubly to Michigan and not at all to Michigan state, which is uh, too bad for that. We feel real, real sorry. Um, yeah. Uh, condolences to our friends in East Lansing who have to pay full price um, for their tremendous licensed merchandise uh but yeah uh get on that until midnight uh tonight the 22nd and if you didn't get on it by then uh a little bird is telling me that uh there might be a a new michigan t-shirt drop coming up soon so um keep an eye out for that as well we are also brought to you by points bet download the points bet app and use the code bucket prob to get 100 of of your deposit matched up to one thousand dollars in the form of free bets to get that bonus, though, you must use the promo code BUCKETPROB. That is Bucket, P-R-O-B, all one word. Please gamble responsibly. Set limits. Avoid chasing losses. Never bet what you can't afford to lose. Take breaks when you need it and use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's talk Nova. Um, this is a tremendously skilled team, uh, a pretty experienced team, and uh, a a well-coached team. They're also a team where everybody is somewhere between six, three and six, eight. Um, so this provides a pretty fascinating matchup going against Michigan. Uh, I think the, the star here is Colin Gillespie, uh, a point guard who you might remember from playing 12 minutes in the 2018 national title game. Uh, he and Eli Brooks can have a conversation about old times, uh, after the game, probably. Um, and hopefully not too long of one if you're Eli Brooks. Uh, but um, yeah, Nova's really good. They have a top 10 offense, a top 30 defense. They, um, when I speak about skill, they hit 82.6% of their free throws. That's number one in the country. This is a team that you don't want to leave guys open beyond the perimeter. Um, you, you don't want to really give them space and uh, you don't want to make mistakes against them because uh they're tremendously good at taking care of the ball. Um, they can turn you over a little bit and you do not want to give this team extra possessions. Uh, so this is going to be, um, particularly if Michigan only has one of their two point guards available, uh, a tough task considering, uh, they play pretty slow, very, very slow, uh, 345th and tempo in the country. Um, Michigan kind of picks and chooses their places to push the tempo, but, um, in a low possession game, turnovers are probably going to play an outsized factor, and I don't expect Villanova to do it much. Uh, I'm a little worried about Michigan uh, in this matchup, especially with Villanova um, 
with that kind of everybody being around the same height lineup, uh, switching everything and forcing a lot of one-on-one play. Yeah, fortunately, yeah. Michigan has the best and biggest player in this game in Hunter Dickinson. That is um, true. Might not be fair to Colin Gillespie to say that. I expect to see him post up maybe 15 or 20 times against Eli Brooks and Frankie Collins. So that should be a really exciting basketball. Um, <laughs> they do. They play differently, but they kind of remind me of a beeline team where they really execute their stuff. Um, they don't beat themselves. They don't have a ton of size, especially in the front court. Um, They do a really good job of jump, stop, pivot in the post, which is just, you know, the pinnacle of basketball. Um, Shoot a ton of threes, but I don't know. Michigan has kind of like almost the opposite of that in a lot of ways where, you know, Michigan attacks teams on the glass. Michigan has Musa Diabate and Hunter Dickinson. If Villanova is switching and Michigan can enter the ball into the post, which is kind of a big if sometimes, like I think late in that Indiana game, Indiana really just wouldn't let them throw the ball to Hunter almost. Um, but if Michigan can get the ball to Hunter and Hunter can play his game down low, I, I think Michigan does have a pretty decent shot. Um, I think, what is it? On, on Torvik, I'm seeing that Villanova is favored by four, which seems about right to me. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think there are quite a few pathways to Michigan potentially winning this game. Yeah, I thought um, – I think that it's tough because I, I've seen a lot of graphics that suggest, you know, advanced analytics that suggest that Michigan is good at running teams off the three-point line and forcing bad shots, but then bad at contesting shots. Um, that doesn't feel like it passed the smell test for me. I feel like teams get a lot of good open looks again, open looks at like, uh, from three against Michigan. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I am of the opinion that this is going to, this is going to require a, either just like an absolute monstrous game from Dickinson or just a little bit of three point luck one way or the other, maybe Villanova missing more than usual or Michigan making more than usual. Um, for Michigan to come out on top. I mean, Villanova is a very good team and, you know, they're a two seed for a reason. And I think Michigan has a chance based on like, you know, like Alex said, the matchups down low. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, I, I think on the balance, like if, if, if Villanova is hitting their threes, it's going to be tough. Um, one thing I will say is I, I feel like the, oh, sorry, go ahead, Ace. I said, I was about to say, this is probably not a game where Caleb Houston can score zero points again and have Michigan. Win. Yeah. And, uh, and that's bad news because sometimes he does that. Um, <laughs> I was, I was, that's actually very related to what I was going to say. Um, I, this is not a uh, unpopular sentiment um, or this is not a, a new sentiment, but I, I understand Caleb Houston's a five-star. Um, you got to let him play through it. And I think, you know, he was truly abysmal early in the season and he's really developed a lot of parts of his game to make up for the fact that he's a very streaky shooter. Um, he's been definitely better down the stretch. He's been really good in some games, um, but he just, you know, he has too many games where he's just an absolute zero still. And I expect that to get better. I, I'm, I'm not at all out on him. Like, I think that he's going to, you know, with an off season of, of really like getting his feet under him, I think he could be really good if we get that from him. Um, but I do think like, you know, it's winning time right now. You know, like this team is playing with house money, so I'm not going to be disappointed if they lose, but you know, like you're trying to get to the elite eight, that'd be inc- an incredible accomplishment. You have a legitimate shot. They're only five point dogs, to this team, and you've got a lot of really interesting matchup advantages. Um, I think if he's struggling early, like 
especially with the way Terrence Williams has been playing, um, you I don't see why they don't go to him at the three earlier, um, especially with how well he enters the ball into the post, um, how much hustle he gives. He's been shooting better than Caleb Houston in the tournament, at least. And um, uh, what else? There's, there's another point I was going to make. Oh, and also like that allows you to keep Musa and Hunter out there who are, you know, your biggest uh, size advantages. So I don't know if you guys agree with that, but I feel like, you know, the minutes should be, I'm okay with still starting Caleb Houston because he's been your starter all year, but I, I feel like the minute, the minutes should be split more evenly. Like uh, Ter- Terrence Williams deserves more time. Yeah. Based on the Ohio state game, Tennessee game, um, a few other games throughout the year, I think he deserves a little bit more playing time. Um, I do think that at the three, his lack of foot speed on the perimeter can be exposed on defense a little bit. Um, but then again, Houston, God, same could probably be said for him. He does have more length, which helps. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if say hypothetically Houston's quiet to start the game, Williams makes, you know, a couple threes or has a big putback in the first half. Like I would hope that, um, the rotation would adjust accordingly to kind of accommodate that. Um, I but do that's think that probably going to be a matter of five minutes or so, and probably not, you know, him playing, you know, the, the jump from like nine or 10 minutes to 14 or 15, instead of it, Williams going to playing more than half the game or something. I would be shocked if Houston's minutes get cut into that hard based on what we've seen all year. Yeah, I would be surprised too. I think that um, Martelli was more likely to potentially give him a little bit more time. Like Williams was on the floor for the second half of that Ohio State game. But yeah, to your point, even if he does make a couple of plays in the first half against Villanova, wouldn't expect him to play more than Houston. Uh, I think the the easy solution to this would be if Houston potentially knocks down a few threes, which would be really nice. Um, he did have a a stretch of the Colorado state game where he got hot. Hasn't been the greatest tournament from him. Um, comparatively, Musa Diabate has shown a lot more to the NBA, I think, than Caleb Houston has. Um, well, but yeah, have an I, opportunity to do that again, because uh, the tallest power forward that Villanova is going to put out there is six, seven. Um, so, I mean, they've got, they've got very good athletes. They have strong wings. Uh, I mean, Jermaine Samuels is a great athlete and, uh, uh, Brandon Slater can hold up down low as well, but um, Diabate is definitely going to have the opportunity to um, use his height and maybe some of that face-up game that he's shown that's been really effective at times. Uh, this this could be a game where uh, you know he gets into the double-digit points on a relatively low number of shots because he's just got that you know three four inches on the guys guarding him. And that's before any switches occur. Um, so we'll, I, I think hopefully this is a big game for Diabate and Dickinson. If not, it might be really tough for Michigan to win this one because uh, perimeter production may be tough with the way Villanova is able to switch and stick with uh, with perimeter players. And it's not yeah. like Michigan is the best at attacking the rim with their guards in the first place. Yeah, and you mentioned the possession battle. Like, I think Michigan's going to have a really uphill fight if Villanova gets more shots than they do um, to a significant degree. But that's also where Diabate on the offensive glass, there have been a few games this year where he's pulled down like five or six offensive rebounds, and you tend to get pretty good offense off of offensive rebounds. So that could kind of be one of those little things that heads up to a big thing over the course of the game. 
Yeah, Nova is merely an average defensive rebounding team. They are, unlike the uh, B-line offense comparisons, uh, a relatively good offensive rebounding team. Uh, we'll see how that holds up against Michigan size, but having those athletes to throw at the at the rim is uh, also helpful. They have, uh, you know, Jermaine Samuels is a really excellent offensive rebounder despite being six seven. Um, although primarily they're getting most of their offensive boards from center Eric Dixon, um, but. I don't know. This this is a fascinating matchup to me. It's one that I can see Michigan hanging in. It's also one where I can see them getting absolutely run off the floor if the offense isn't uh, clicking. Um, if switches are blowing up their actions and they're not shooting, it, it could be a rough day. Um, if they're turning the ball over, it could be a real rough day. Uh, but at the same time, if Michigan you know, is able to kind of impose their will in the paint, uh, I mean, right now Vegas has this as a five-point uh Villanova's favored by five. Uh, Ken Palm has the same thing. The the flip side to the low position possession thing I mentioned earlier is uh, that leaves open the, the chance for luck and whatever to come into play. And I don't think this Michigan team needs a lot of luck um, to hang with Villanova. So I don't think you can ask much more when you're an 11 seed uh, that's hanging in the Sweet 16 all of a sudden. And one thing I will say is like, the past two games Michigan has won, um, it's not like I really feel like, oh, wow, this team's really turned a corner. They're kind of the same team that, <laughs> like the same inconsistent team that's been playing all season with, you know, I would say like just better clutch performances, like, you know, uh, getting buckets in high leverage situations and uh, and Dickinson obviously playing, you know, playing his ass off, which he's more or less been doing all season. But I think it would be, you know, like I guess what I'm saying is we're kind of due for a game where like, Michigan actually shoots better than their season average because they've pretty much been having out of nowhere shooting performances like every like four or five games um, all season. So, you know, it's not just out of the realm of possibility that Michigan could, uh, you know, play way over their heads for one game. And, you know, it's a single elimination tournament. That's all it takes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Speaking of uh, eliminated, let's talk about the big 10. Because I, I, I know Alex has an out here in a little bit, and I want to get this in um, before he has to go. Um, there were uh, nine Big Ten tournament teams. We are down to two. Uh, I'll just read it off in the order that uh, we went when previewing things <laughs> last week. Uh, Rutgers was in 11 seed in the West and lost by two points to Notre Dame in the play on ga- playing game. So actually the Big Ten only had eight tournament teams. Tough break. Um, Michigan State, seventh seed in the West, uh, did manage to win their first round game, lost 85-76 to Duke, uh, leaving us to have to put up with all this Coach K bullshit for another weekend. So thanks a lot for that. Uh, Indiana, 12th seed in the East, lost 82-53 to to St. Mary's after uh, getting out of the play-in. So congrats for making it and uh, see ya. Jesus Christ. Um, Purdue beat Texas. They're still alive. Uh, Illinois four seed in the South lost 68, 53 to Houston. That, uh, that fell apart pretty, pretty hard there. Um, Michigan 11 seed in the South, you know, what's happening. Uh, they beat Tennessee and they're still alive. Ohio state seven seed in the South, uh, lost 71, 61 to Villanova to set up this matchup against Michigan, Iowa, the number five seed in the Midwest lost 67 to 63 to Richmond in the first dang round. Oh, I had some fun on Twitter with that one, and I know others did too. Um, speaking of fun on Twitter, Wisconsin, third seed in the Midwest, lost 54-49 to Iowa State. 
this was a brutal performance by the conference. And I got to be honest, I enjoyed pretty much every second of it. <laughs> yeah, the Big Ten is clearly extremely overrated as a brand. It's been 20 plus years since they've won a national title. Um, <laughs> I, there's Frog not conference. much, not much NBA talent relative to other conferences, frankly, although you know, Johnny Davis, Keegan, Keegan Murray, Murray, those are lottery picks. And yeah, I think Iowa is the really brutal one because they, they had been playing so well, um, won the Big Ten tournament, lost to a team that's about as good as Penn State, give or take, um, in the biggest game <laughs> of their season. And that that is tough to stomach. Likewise, Wisconsin playing in Milwaukee against Iowa State and former Big Ten transfers Gabe Kelscher of Minnesota, who after the game said that he did not like Wisconsin um, and Isaiah Brockington of Penn state, uh, Iowa Penn state, state coming up right now for a uh, incidentally tournament. Time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Iowa state was not good in the big 12. Like they were good in the no. conference and they were not good in the big 12. They um, also won they, two games last year Two. <laughs> they, they weren't even good. They weren't even good in the game that they beat Wisconsin. Like it was just, <laughs> that game was terrible. It's it was like uh, I, I was watching them. Like you know, usually when you see a a double digit seed upsetting uh, upsetting a uh, a top four seed, it's like wow, they're really you know they got this one player that's going off, or they're really lighting it up from three, or just whatever. It's like nope, they're just playing normally, um, and Wisconsin is playing like crap. Um, and it was very very validating for you know our our season long uh, Wisconsin is overrated um, narrative. Yeah, and now we have a blood feud against Wisconsin. So, I mean, that's raises the stakes <laughs> sure even more. Um, 0.71 points per possession. And uh, Iowa State's a good defensive team, but, man, that is bad. That is um, brutal. Likewise, uh, I do want to salute Michigan State for putting up quite a fight against Duke. I thought that that game could have broken either way there in the second half. I refused to watch it. I couldn't do um, it. <laughs> Duke, did, Duke did cover the point spread, though. I would like to point mm. that out. Um yeah, Indiana. Covers. Sorry, Michigan State. Indiana, really funny, losing by thirty points to a West Coast conference team that's not Gonzaga. Well, but you know they, they had to take a plane there. Um, yeah, so it was a really late flight, and, and no they other plane teams managed to pull this off. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, there no, definitely not a wasn't team with a certain. As as we all know, Irish when 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 a team has when when a team has uh, plane related struggles, um, they're almost always like you know they immediately. God, I hadn't even after. thought about uh, the ridiculousness of Indiana <laughs> using that it's argument. It's impossible. To <laughs> Good. Yeah, their plane didn't even crash. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. <Have> a, that's <laughs> what you crash your plane when you've had you some sort of FIA <laughs> yeah. investigation. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. They had their real jerseys. They didn't have to wear their practice jerseys. Um, and they, they got smoked. Um, but, uh, yeah, also, uh, we should mention Illinois almost lost their first round game in the worst game of basketball I have ever seen against Chattanooga. Absolutely. Um, hideous. That was, and that was another one where it's like, you know, it's like, wow, like, you know, the scrappy Chattanooga team and I'm watching, and I'm like, this Chattanooga team is terrible at basketball. Like they were, they were just fumbling the ball everywhere. Nobody could make a shot. Illinois was almost just as bad, and you know, barely pulled it out at the end. Um, then obviously, go on to get kind of smoked by Houston. But um, yeah, really hilarious weekend for the Big Ten. That that game featured that Illinois Chattanooga game featured one of my favorite phenomenons of really this entire season, and particularly this tournament, um, where the announcers will. Uh, be talking about how much of a game changer Andre Curbelo is and then slowly have to change their tone over the course of the game as he keeps throwing the ball out of bounds. Um, 
And you get they went from like, oh, like he's a real difference maker and he's the spark that like gets his team going. And then they were like, uh, he does a lot out there. He's uh really doing uh the most, <laughs> you could say. And I I enjoyed, I mean, you know, I bagged a lot on Corbello. It isn't anything personal. It's more just like, man, we heard so much hype about this guy. Uh, I mean, heading into the season, he was, you know, he was in that debate from for some people with Keegan Murray and Johnny Davis as the best young player of the Big Ten. Um, he's not in that discussion anymore, and uh, it was just it was just very funny to hear the tenor change when like these announcers who like clearly had not watched anything but highlight reels uh, started to see what I mean. It's fun to see this always where like you get these announcers who have watched like part of a couple games or like zip through some highlights. And then they start calling the games and realize that these teams are like, not at all what they expected them to be. And I find that to be particularly uh, hilarious when it goes like say Illinois game one. Yeah. I do like the flip side of that coin though, where like if an announcer calls out, like a big guy is lining up a three point shot and the announcer's like, he can make this and he does make it. I'm like, Oh, well he's done his research. Good job. Yes. (laughs) It really depends on the announcing team. (laughs) We'll put it that way. There's a lot of variance uh, in the NCAA tournament. I haven't heard Robbie Hummel on the call because I think he's with Fox and ESPN, which is a, a true shame, but yeah, I don't know. I, the, all of March Madness is great. I wanted to stay with CBS because if they lose that, you know, jingle that we all know and just popped into all of our heads, um, that would be tragic. Yeah, I'd be okay with someone other than Jim Nance getting the championship call, but uh, I want Bill Raftery around forever. Also, the way that they bring in um, Barkley uh, for the, the like between game analysis rules because. Um, I know this is not an original point, but he doesn't know anything about college basketball. And it makes people so mad, and it's great. And it's like, you guys, why are you getting your information from a goddamn halftime show? (laughs) Right. He doesn't even know the players on Auburn. (laughs) Like He's like an open Auburn homer, but does not know the players at all. Uh, It's it's awesome. He's very funny. It's a being good at being being good at entertaining is not about knowing things. And that's uh, one of the core tenets of our podcast. <laughs> yeah, I clearly don't know anything. Like Michigan has been to Sweet 16 uh, in men's and women's basketball uh, twice now in consecutive years. That's great. Yeah, made sure to get that one this time around. Yeah, had to be right <laughs> before I hop off. But uh, yeah, very much enjoyed recording this podcast. Looking forward to Michigan upsetting Villanova, upsetting Arizona, making the final four, bringing us back here next week. Uh, We'll see. There we go. Uh, So that's all from Alex. Uh, Dan, if you want to stick around, I'm about to talk some women's hoops because that was quite the weekend for Michigan. Uh, We will start. uh, I'm going to actually do this in order because that's how I have it written out, even though we went out of order for the men's. We'll start with American. Uh, The first round matchup went, pretty much exactly as expected. Um, They were a team that could not shoot threes at all and didn't in this game and had really no way to gain a possession advantage against Michigan, which is death. Um, Nas Hillman scored 24 points uh, on 11 for 14 shooting. This was also a big game for Emily Kaiser, 13 points and seven boards. Uh, Michigan came out slow in the first quarter. Uh, Leah Brown checks in. They go on a 7-0 run to end the quarter, and then 
uh, win the second quarter 28 to five. Uh, so that was pretty much it for that game. Uh, the Eagles scored 0.55 points per possession. This was a suffocating defensive effort from Michigan and American had absolutely no chance of stopping Nas Hillman, um, for a pretty good portion of the game until she sat for, I believe the entire fourth quarter, Nas Hillman was beating American by herself or at least hanging around. So, uh, yeah, um, pretty dominant game for Michigan to open it up. Uh, then they caught a bit of a break with Villanova, um, pulling off an upset over BYU in the 6-11 game. Villanova's a good team. BYU felt like the more dangerous team just because of their ability to absolutely light it up from beyond the arc. Uh, Michigan got just uh, phenomenal performances from Nas Hillman and uh, Leah Brown, um, who finally played like uh, about her full allotment of minutes in the Villanova game. Uh, Hillman... 27 points on 12 for 16 shooting uh, five steals playing at the, at the head of Michigan's one, two, two press uh, plays all but one minute and also draws uh, Villanova star, Maddie Segrist on defense for pretty much the entire game holds her to 12 points on five for 13 shooting. Just a, a superlative performance from Hillman. And then, uh, Michigan needed somebody else to score and really only exactly one more person to score. And that was Leah Brown. Uh, she drops 20, um, has three assists, runs the offense beautifully, uh, gets two steals and a block on defense, all in just 29 minutes. Uh, Michigan didn't have a single other double-digit scorer. Maddie Nolan had eight. Nobody else had more than five. Um, but Michigan holds Villanova to 0.77 points per possession. This was, again, a dominant defensive performance. And uh, this is a team that looks, uh, I mean, now that they've got Leah Brown, even though she came off the bench in this game, uh, looking like she's at full strength, this is a team that absolutely looks like they could go on a big run. And they have a 10 seed coming up next because South Dakota upset Baylor, a team that I should note Michigan has already beaten this year. So the two seed uh, that Michigan was expecting to see has been replaced by a 10. And uh, I mean, I think both basketball programs right now are playing with house money. Um, But this women's team has a chance to really do something special here. And the door to the elite eight is, is pretty wide open right now. Um, Dan, did you have any big takeaways from this past weekend? Yeah. um, I, I felt like, you know, they, they, they took care of business. Um, uh, pretty pretty standard early game turnovers feels like uh, something that I think they could stand to clean up. Um, but, you know, down the stretch really dominated Villanova. It was clear who the better team was. Um, Leah Brown coming back and, uh, and just being, you know, that really dominant ball handler I think is just really huge because um, Leah Filia is uh, very promising, but she's, I would say, still pretty inconsistent in her young career. Um, and just not and, nearly the pass that the Brown is either. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so having someone that consistently like, you know, can consistently feed the post um, and, you know, be that secondary scoring option to Nas is it's really just night and day because they really did kind of stumble down the stretch when they were forced to uh, play without her. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, at this point, you'd really hope they, the, the door to, like you said, the door to the, the elite eight is wide open. Um, really hope they'd, uh, they take advantage of this pretty favorable matchup, although I would say, you know, not a pushover. Um, I think no. there were some analytics sites that were calling it like a 50-50 game. 
I find that hard to believe. Analytics for women's women's basketball can get a little bit wonky um, because I think we were talking about this before the pod, but like it's it's kind of a very tiered. Um, the, the the top is so much better than the bottom, um, but you know it's it's not a pushover for sure. And we've seen a lot of ups. I mean, more upsets than we've than I've personally ever seen in the tournament this year. I mean, with Iowa going down, um, also LOL. Uh, and, uh, and I think, um, and Baylor going down, obviously. And then I think there was one other big one, unless I'm totally mistaken, but regardless, it's been, it's been more of a state beating three seed LSU, which I, uh, appreciated for knocking Kim Mulkey out of this tournament. Uh, (laughs) Right. Indiana beat Princeton by one. We almost lost, uh, a very good big 10 team, uh, to an 11 seed Ivy league team. Uh-huh. And that's and that's really unusual in the women's tournament where it's traditionally been very chalk. Um, so, you know, uh, like you said, hope they take advantage of it, make the Elite Eight, which I've got to assume is the first Elite Eight in program history. Yes, yeah, so they didn't make it last year. So this this would be the first. Um, <laughs> right. Unless unless you're about to just say, <laughs> I thought you were about to say, nope, last year. I'm like, I, I was pretty sure that that was the Sweet 16 when they lost to uh, Baylor. So anyway. Yes. Um. Yeah, and uh, as you hinted at, South Dakota, um, 10 seed may be a little bit misleading. Uh, They came from the Summit League, which uh, probably put a pretty hard cap on what they were going to be seeded as. Uh, But if you look at, I mean, we've talked about how these can be a little bit unreliable. Um, They're 23rd in uh, her hoop stats ratings, um, which is kind of the women's version of Kempom. This is... Um, by her, her hoop stats is projection more a 62 38 kind of game instead of a 50 50 uh, with Michigan favored by a little over three points. Uh, but this uh, this is interesting because South Dakota, I mean, they obviously just beat Baylor. Um, they also beat a very good Drake team and one by two at Creighton, uh, a solid tournament team. But they started the season one four and while a loss to South Carolina is exceptionally understandable, that's the number one overall seed in this tournament. Um, they did also lose to Oklahoma, Northwestern and Texas A&M uh, three teams that, I mean, Michigan has beaten Northwestern also lost to them, but uh, is a better team than Northwestern. Um, and I, I think they would beat Oklahoma and Texas A&M as well. Um, South Dakota is going to, play at a very slow pace. Um, the thing to watch for for Michigan is that they uh, are good normally at generating a very large turnover gap. Um, and also their top three scorers all can shoot from beyond the arc, um, including uh, including their center, um, which provides some reason for concern, although Michigan has been pretty good at stretching out their defense and there are a couple players that they can put less, less emphasis uh, on guarding. Um, but, uh, Hannah Shervin at center, I hope I'm not butchering her name. It's very Scandinavian, um, is uh, kind of the key to this whole thing. She's an excellent shot blocker at nearly two per game per game, gets one and a half steals per game, averages 15 points a game is a strong interior scorer and hits a three every other game shoots almost 40% from beyond there. She just doesn't take that many, um, pulls down eight boards, almost three of them are on the offensive end. Uh, She is also prone to foul trouble. And this is where I expect Michigan is going to uh, work the post even more than they usually do early. uh, Try to pin uh, a couple early fouls uh, and, uh, and get 
South Dakota's best two-way player off the floor and the player that really holds their defense together. Um, Because if that happens, their backup center is not nearly the same defender uh, as Shervin is. So that could be where Michigan really just gets to let Nas Hillman go off. But if things flip in the other direction and Sherman's able to get some foul trouble on, on Hillman uh, or just plays that to more of a stalemate, uh, there's some very good backcourt play, um, particularly with Chloe Lamb and uh, Liv Corn Gable, who are both uh, excellent three-point shooters and, and Corn Gable's in actually both cases, pretty good names. Uh, and they're also good passages as well. So this is a more balanced team than Michigan uh, faced against Villanova, um, a team that can uh, be a little dangerous. They're very aggressive in terms of going for steals. That's something where, I mean, we've seen Michigan, if there's one complaint about this team, really it's their turnovers. And it's going to it's going to be interesting because uh, this is one where I could see Michigan um, very much overwhelming South Dakota with Nas Hillman leading the way, or I could see – um, shooting in particular, and also turnovers, keeping South Dakota very competitive in this one. Yeah, no arguments from me. Um, my biggest pet peeve watching this team all year has been, um, you know, Nas is obviously their absolute best player. Um, I do think that they tend to predetermine, you know, feeding her in the post, and that leads to a lot of turnovers when she just doesn't have great position. And she, she gets great position more times than not because she's incredible, but, like, you know, there could be a reset when uh, when when she clearly is in bad post position. Um, so, you know, hopefully uh, Leah Brown being back out will uh, or back back playing in the in the lineup will, you know, mitigate that to a certain extent. But um, Ace, let me ask you, since you are more of the avid overall women's basketball watcher, um, let's just not to look ahead, but to, you know, look ahead. Definitely yeah, let's do it <laughs> um, to to uh, the lead eight matchup. It, do, you, do we feel like Louisville? I know they beat this team pretty bad earlier in the season. Do we feel like that's the hard cap or um, is there, you know, I don't know. Is are they guaranteed to win that game versus I am not sure who they're playing. But Gonzaga. Uh, Gonzaga, um, are they like heavy favorites in that game? Do we feel like Michigan has a chance against them? You know, what's your general sense for, you know, I guess final four chances? Or sorry, they're playing Tennessee. Um, they beat Gonzaga most recently. I should stay read this right. Um, but I think Tennessee has a chance against them, even though they barely fended off a, a 12 seed in Belmont in the second round. Um, Louisville has looked more susceptible uh, towards the end of the season. They actually almost... Uh, um, almost lost their one seed uh, to it would have been um, uh, Baylor getting it over them. And uh, I'm sure they're uh, not super happy about that at the moment. Um, but Louisville is, has definitely looked more, more vulnerable than they did when they absolutely blew out Michigan. Uh, Michigan also for their part has um, really incorporated Layla Filia more into the lineup. They did not have Amy Dilk when they played Louisville, though Dilk is more of a bit player at this point. Uh, she played a pretty important role in that Villanova game. Um, and uh, and we just haven't seen, like the fully formed version of Michigan, I think we've only seen a handful of times this season because of Brown being in and out of the lineup, Filia coming along, um, Dilk being out of the lineup for a large part of the season. Uh this was, I think this is a much better team now, particularly with Brown at full strength than they were when they played Louisville 
before the new year. Um, that said, I certainly wouldn't put Michigan as favorites in that game, uh, but that game was at Louisville. It kind of got away from them, and uh, hopefully this will be um, hypothetically a much closer matchup. I would still put Louisville as the favorites, but um, I think with the way Michigan is playing defense right now, they've got a fighting chance against pretty much anybody in this country. Uh, Cause I mean, we'll see, you know, if they have to go against Stanford or South Carolina, that's a, or maybe NC state uh, that's a great problem for another day. Uh, but uh, yeah, right. I, I, I think they can <laughs> get out of this. Well, we call that season a big, a big W at that point and then yes. <laughs> wrap it on up. Um, yeah. And, but, and yeah, and no, I, mean, I would agree with, Oh God, sorry. I, I mean, other than, I mean, Stanford has been incredible, but even South Carolina has looked uh, a little funky. Uh, the, they only scored 49 points and they went over Miami. So it doesn't feel like there's a team that is just destined to run through this tournament, which at points during the season, it kind of looked like South Carolina was going to be that team. Uh, but UConn barely fended off UCF to, to grab the, the other main threat here. Um, Iowa as a two seed is already out of the tournament. Uh, so, I, I mean, this feels like the most wide open field that uh, women's hoops has had in a long time, not just in terms of upsets at the bottom, which is, have happened in the past, but uh, maybe not with this frequency, um, but also having those very top teams not feel completely untouchable. Um, normally, it feels like there are maybe three or four teams in the country that have a real chance at winning the national championship. And this year, I would say every one seed in UConn, Texas, Iowa State, and Michigan uh, all have at least in, and and also Maryland who's been playing tremendously now that they're healthy um, and may actually be the best looking team in the tournament thus far. Um, I think they all got a fighting chance. So if you haven't been tuning into the women's tournament so far, you're missing out because it's been a lot of fun, but there's still a chance to hop on board and watch a lot of good basketball because uh, I'm excited by pretty much all of these sweet 16 matchups. Indiana UConn should be really fun. Louisville, Tennessee on the opposite side of Michigan's bracket should be really competitive. Um, Stanford, Maryland uh, has game of the year potential and Ohio state, Texas could be a a pretty wild shootout. So I'm excited. A lot of these games, I got to say, uh, I got to say like, there's been a lot of absolute clunkers in the, uh, in the tournament in terms, in the men's tournament, in terms of good basketball, Um, a lot of great games, but a lot of clunkers. Uh, The the women's best, the women's side has been, I would say like, it feels like the games that I've watched higher scoring. So if you like exciting basketball, it's definitely worth tuning in. Um, so, uh, and also, um, I, Ace, I'll, I'll ask you what's, what would be your prediction prediction for both the men's and women's sides, uh, this weekend? Where's, wh- wh- what's your, uh, I guess, what's your heart prediction and what's your head prediction? Uh, both my heart and my head are saying that Villanova is able to work the pick and roll, uh, against Michigan enough to, overcome a size disadvantage that they're pretty used to at this point. Uh, and it does feel like Michigan, uh, you know, with their roller coaster habits this season is maybe due to have it end soon. Uh, on the <laughs> women's side, uh, I like their chances against South Dakota. I, I believe they will win that game. Um, the kind of common threat in South Dakota's losses is they ran into defenses that were able to, put up strong resistance on the interior and uh, Michigan is a very good interior defense. 
Emily Kaiser is one of the best interior defenders in the country. She was robbed of first team all defense uh, in the Big Ten, um, possibly by Nas Hillman. Uh, but um, Hillman is a very good defender in her own right, just in a different way. Uh, and I, like, I couldn't predict Michigan to get to the Final Four with Louisville standing in the way, but I do think that is much closer to a potential coin flip game than uh, the first matchup between those two teams this season. Uh, would lead you to believe so I'll go with a you know a a first ever elite eight for the women's team and uh, the men at least keeping it competitive against Noah Nova and bowing out much more gracefully than we expected them to this season so I think we'd all take that right (laughs) yep I'm gonna predict both teams go out in the elite eight Um, I feel like I I agree with you totally on the women's side um, but I do feel like I don't know. There's there's no reason I should feel confident going into Nova because they're clearly the better team. But I saw them play Purdue earlier this year, and they had a really hard time with Zach Eady. So I think Hunter goes off for like 32, and uh, we just squeak out a win there. So, But uh, if, if two Elite Eights, I'd be totally happy with, obviously. Especially, it would be really – it's really hilarious this, that this men's team is one game away from matching last season's, uh, you know, like what felt like a team of destiny, one seed. Uh, performance with you know this hilarious um like you this know, team that people were ready to just here. ditch in the last week of the season yeah. people who who could say who those people were um but <laughs> certainly people. neither of us were yeah. certainly neither of us said things like get this trash team off of my television screen <laughs> at any point this year <laughs> that i don't know if i used language that strong i might have uh, it's possible <laughs> covering yeah. this team on an everyday basis was uh frustrating Look, if there's one thing that you know about me is that i'm never prisoner of the moment uh, <laughs> so you know always always looking at the big picture uh, yeah of course all right i think that is it for our show this week uh follow at bucket problem on twitter go to www.thebucketproblem.com i should get my website right uh, subscribe to the newsletter, which is 20% off both monthly and annual subscriptions through the end of this month to celebrate this uh, uh, tremendous March Madness. Um, so subscribe to that uh, and the bonus podcast. I'm sure I'll be doing an episode at the end of this week. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to this here free podcast. Use the promo code Bucket Problem or Mania, uh, depending on what you're buying, at homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code Bucket Prob on PointsBet. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening and have a good one.